this is Erica Hiragami with Curator Love, and I am reaching you once more. This week, this time, on this occasion, basically just to fangirl about my art comadre, Anabel Juarez. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, Anabel has an exhibition currently at the Carolyn Campagna Cleveland Contemporary Art Museum, which is right in the middle of Cal State University, Long Beach. So for those of you who haven't been, you should. The museum itself, it's it's way adorable, is what I'm going to call it. It's really nice. Uh, the museum, inside the museum, right, it's beautiful. They have some really cool exhibitions. Actually, right now, they have a few exhibitions, one of them being um, Linda Bessemer, um, and if I am not mistaken, she's one of the recipients of, like, the Guggenheim Fellowships this year, so, right, but that's not what we're going to be talking about here, I'm just mentioning that as a way to tell you that you should head out there, because they're doing really interesting work at this space, but why I'm calling it adorable is because the space shares building with, like, a student environment, right? It's in the middle of a, um, of a college, a university. And the stu- it's like a student study lounge that you walk in through to get into the museum. So it already puts you at a different mind space, right? Because even museums at universities are usually very different. But this one just feels like very... I don't know, very active, very engaged, because as you're walking in, you're seeing like a couple of hundred students and their laptops being stressed out about something. And that just kind of like makes it really different in a good way. But I'm thinking of like, right, I'm at UCLA and at UCLA, the Fowler Museum is kind of like hidden inside of like a little pocket of the center of campus. And you need to like really know that you're going to a museum to acknowledge that it's a museum like the architecture is very it blends in with all of the other you know buildings where students learn so you don't notice it from the outside and when you go in um, it has classrooms so right that is kind of like a really good mind trip of the Fowler the collection is beautiful but also you can't see it you won't notice it's there you need to want to go to the Fowler before you find the Fowler. It's one of those things. Whereas the Hammer is a part of UCLA, right? They're like linked, but it's outside of campus proper, a couple of blocks away, right? Within walking distance. Actually, most of the student shuttles have a stop at the Hammer, or at least a few of the lines. And you get a different sense of uh, like academia because it's in the city, right? So there's buses, there's cars, there's everything, right? Like it's it's a museum. Um, But also the MFA gallery at UCLA is right dabbed in the middle of like the sculpture garden. And the sculpture garden at UCLA has its own beautiful vibes, right? It's like little hills of beautiful grass for like, you know, outdoor sculptures. And students are chilling there, napping. I am the one who sits there and just takes in the sun sometimes because, well, being a student is stressful and the sculpture garden is so cute. So it is the MFA gallery is surrounded by like a Richard Serra and like all of these big, big sculptures. And 
It is kind of the more contemporary looking building in that general area. So it's a little divorced from student life. And they also, like, I've only been there, right, as a non-art student or, like, a non-person in the MFA department, BFA department. I go in there to see exhibitions every so sporadically. I'm not actively there. I don't take classes there. I'm sure people do. But there's no, I also don't teach in that building. So there's no, no sense of the student population the same as in Cal State Long Beach is what I'm trying to tell you. But in any case, if you ever feel compelled to walk in through 200 or 300 students doing their homework in order to get to your museum, um, CSULB got you. Go there, see it, witness it. But also, let's get back to why I'm fangirling about Annabelle's work. So first and foremost, if I'm not mistaken, I've been following the work of Annabelle for four or five years, since right before she graduated from her MFA at UCLA. I was actually introduced to her by one of her contemporaries, Alex Anderson, who, by the way, enormous shout out, love his work. It's flawless, it's spectacular, and it's amazing every time I see it. If you don't know him yet, look him up, Alex Anderson. If I'm not mistaken, he's represented by Gaflack in Los Angeles. Also, shout out to Gaflack for doing really cool projects and repping some amazing people. But Alex introduced me to Annabelle, and he's like, super quick, there's this girl, you need to know her, here's some pictures. And I was like, damn. Like, Alex is never wrong, first and foremost. And I was like, okay, this is amazing, I'm obsessed already. And these were just a series of photographs, right? And the photographs were these tiny objects, and I'm calling them tiny because I thought they fit in my hand, right? And they were beautifully colored, and there was a lot of texture, and high gloss, and I was like, damn, that's amazing. Like, I need to know more about this person. So then a couple of months later, um, or shortly after, right, it was Annabelle's MFA exhibition. So being the burn that I am, right, um, I checked out her work, and this time I went in there expecting to see these tiny little intimate objects, and I found these colossal works, that were roughly my size, and mind you, I'm 5'2", which isn't that colossal to begin with, but these were very different than what I saw in the previous iteration. And for this body of work, she was looking at notions of femininity, and I'm taking this from her um, bio, uh, end quote, femininity, resilience, desire, and memory, end quote. Um, but these were like these dress-like forms that I remember thinking, you know what, I want to put this on. And it felt delicate and light, even though it's this, like, extremely heavy piece of ceramic, right? Um, So I was impressed and beyond my words and obsessed all in, like, the span of 20 seconds. So mindfully, right, I've been looking at her work for a couple of years, super excited to go to everything she does and be like in the presence of all of her creations. So push forward to today. And also she's the sweetest person in the planet. I will explain that. So that's why I think she's my comadre. So here's what's hilarious. A couple of weeks ago, I posted something on the gram and my compadre Federico Cuatlacuatl um, 
reground it or you know put it in a story or something and he was like "Ooh, la comadrita and i was like wait if you're my art compadre then your artworks are my hados and now i have you know this entire new not just respect for them but also um responsibility towards them we started having this conversation to unpack how his artwork were my halos, right? And it just became funny and hilarious. But also, it gave me a sense of thinking of artwork as... And this also happened to me um, with Luciano Pimienta. Because I was like, well, your artwork is so interesting, but you also have to think about who, who is this in conversation with. And I was like, who are the primos of your artworks, right? So this familial sense of belonging in the art world keeps on popping up for me and it, this isn't the only time it has which is why I now consider a bunch of people my comadres and my compadres we I don't have children they don't either we have not baptized or quinceanera anybody but also what does it mean to be an artworks like madrina right so in any case as I'm thinking through that and thinking of the work obviously of um, Annabelle it it dawned on me that I have a deeper connection to it. And I'll explain why. So the work that she's showing you on Recordar es Vivir at CSULB, and you must go see it, um, is a lot of different elements, a lot of different sculptural elements that are housed within one environment. So the environment itself, it's... Um, it's two separate objects that are so juxtaposed together that you read them as one. But it's basically a carrito, you know, street bander style. So when I was talking to Annabelle, and this is why I'm saying she's the sweetest person on the planet, because she met me at the museum um, when I went to check out the work. And she started like unpacking all of these layers with me as I was circumambulating the artwork and mindfully I did that a bunch of times because there's so much to take in but also it was just so pretty that I kind of got lost and yes I get lost in pretty isn't that what acknowledging the sublime is or whatever it's I'm supposed to be doing not that I was enjoying looking at my hijados and hijadas um and thinking about all of these possibilities but in any case she was telling me that what she wanted, and she did, was commission dos carritos similar to the ones that the street vendors utilize at the border. And now I know that traveling is a privilege. But also, for those who have been to TJ, you all know who you are. Everyone loves going to TJ. Don't even lie. So when you're at the border and mindfully this is a very painful really anxious kind of environment that breeds its own kind of anxieties you're sitting there for a couple of hours right waiting to be triggered by like one of the agents who is going to basically quiz you for like five minutes who are you what are you coming where's your passport etc so this this particular border is very different for a lot of different people right for me, as a transnational child who's crossed that border, I don't know, a couple dozen times even before I was, you know, capable of walking. And mindfully, I'm telling you this because in my, 
in my recuerdos de mi familia, right? My mom's photo albums. And you've got these beautiful photographs of like 80s mom, hot mom, just had a baby mom and you can't tell. Um, I have pictures of, and I've seen these pictures of my mom at Disneyland, right? With a baby Erica who could not even move or walk or hold her head. Why she took baby Erica to Disneyland? I don't know. Maybe she was just flexing. She was living her best life. Who knows? Not judging. I'm excited that I went to Disneyland before it was cool. Um, but this, all this to say that the first time I crossed the border, I have no, con- I didn't even have a conscience, right? I was like a teeny tiny little baby. And I know I crossed this border because my mom had a sister in TJ and a, and a couple of siblings in Los Angeles. So she stopped in TJ to see her sister. Mindfully, I grew up in Guadalajara. So she traveled from Guadalajara to TJ to see her sister and then crossed the border to see her siblings, right? Who picked her up um, in San Diego and then drove her up to LA. And I know this because we did this constantly growing up. And all growing up, right, as a child, you don't think of the border as anything other than something you do. And mindfully, as a transnational child, I did it often enough that it wasn't an issue until I became undoc. Also, I became undoc at the border. <laughs> yeah. Me and my therapist have a lot of fun unpacking that. But basically, right, at a certain older age, teenage Erica, one of the times in which I was crossing the border is where I became cognizant of the fact that my passport had expired and that I wasn't officially allowed to do what I was about to do, right? Because mindfully, an assortment of adult um, female figures were telling me, here's how you behave, here's what you say, here's what you do. And I was like, wait, y'all telling me all these things isn't normal, right? This isn't right. Like something's going on. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it began. But because of this, because of all of this beautiful anxiety that was given to me in like three minutes by all of these wonderful women who are trying to protect me, the border itself became this uncomfortable place for me to be at in which I now get nervous. And now for those of you who know me, I rarely get nervous. But now it's triggering, right? My body remembers all of the trauma. And it happens every time I go. So the one thing that I look forward to when I'm at the border are these carritos and these street vendors for a plethora of reasons. First and foremost, the people who sell like wares at the border are the kindest, most charming people on the planet because they know that there's a ton of anxiety there and they know that a bunch of us are freaking out and they know that someone's having a panic attack and they know that there's an, like, an enormous amount of trauma happening and that, you know, a hundred square foot, whatever, that they're just, they're very pleasant and polite and loving and kind. And they'll talk to you about what they're selling you for hours because that's who they are. Mindfully, they make a living off of this. But also, you cannot not notice when a person's anxious, not to that level of anxiety. So, but also, right, they sell you food. This is the last place in Mexico where you can get Mexican candy. So, I always stuck up when like stack up whenever I'm in TJ. And they also sell you all of these mementos, which is kind of like what Annabelle's piece is hinting at. Because it's made of these two carritos. 
And in these carritos, she put in all of her own recuerdos. And mindfully, if you think of the fact that this exhibition is called Recordar es Vivir, and I just told you my story of migration, actually a few of them, she nailed it, right? The title nailed it in the head. It already happened. It worked. Um, but in these two carritos, mindfully, each of whom are facing in the opposite direction, but so close to each other that you read them as one. She's placed a ton of different mementos. Now, if and I read the CSULB statement and it talks about how she migrated as a child and she put in a backpack the things that she thought she needed. And she right, which happens to to a bunch of us immigrant children. I can tell you that during one of my um, immigrations, because I had many. I should say migrations because immigration is one. You migrate a bunch of times, but you immigrate once. So during one of my migrations, I didn't know I was going to migrate. Um, and my mom showed up to pick me up after class one day. She's like, hey, we're leaving in 20 minutes. I've packed everything you need. And I was like, well, what? Um, and as a child, you don't really have many options. If your mom says we're going, then we're going. Um, but I remember thinking right on the way to the airport, what if I hadn't packed my favorite pencil, right? Like, what if today I forgot to bring, I don't know, my glasses or whatever. Like, I remember thinking of the things in my backpack as the only thing that was going to be with me in the future. So this is similar to what the curatorial statement for this exhibition is referring to. These are the the things that Annabelle brought with her when she migrated. So... In this carrito, you have all of these objects, and the objects are all different pieces of ceramic that are just beautifully made. And there's everything from a stuffed animal, right? There's an escudo nacional, there's a sacred heart, there's a lady of Guadalupe, there's a metate, there's a jade mask, there's some mariposas monarcas, there's some muñecas, there's some mojin symbols. Everything in the planet is inside of this Um I want to call it single artwork, but it's not. Exhibition. Installation. Installation. There's even one of those gourds where you drink water out of, right? When you're in the high desert. So it gives you everything all at once. And what's in... And there's also flowers, right? There's some roses and there's some butterflies like sitting on top of flowers. So you get to see a little bit of an entire migration story. And you also get to witness a very specific type of home and also a very specific migration. So I'm going to describe a few of these objects, not necessarily all of them because there's so many (laughs) in a really good way. Like I went around the sculptural work because it reads as one, right? maybe I don't know six or seven okay six or seven times as I was talking to Annabelle and even after she left because I stayed she had to go have class and by the way Annabelle is a prophet as you will be in the ceramics department so if you need a prophet to teach you ceramics find her enroll in CSULB learn from her and it doesn't matter if you're like you know a master or if you're like figuring out that you just recently discovered that you need to you know play with this medium She teaches at every level, and I feel like you can learn so much from her. 
not based only on what I see, but also based on how much she actually likes being a profe. We were logically talking about it as I was there because we're both profes at different colleges now, aren't we? University, sorry. But let's get back to the work. So the sculpture or the sculptural works in themselves speak of absolutely everything. And there's so many of them that you kind of get lost in the beauty of it all. But also it's a single object that reads as one. So it's exactly those vibes you get from street vendors, right? They come up with your carrito, even the paletero. They viene con su carrito and you're trying to get a paleta and you all remember this because we have all been there. You're super excited that your mom gave you a dollar and you have a dollar for this paleta and you get there and you can't make up your mind. Yep, mm -hmm. that's what I was feeling. I was like, well, I love the Escudo Nacional, but also Our Lady is so amazing. But that meant that is giving me all the vibes. But I have one of those um, muñecas, so like maybe, I don't know. Like I, I was like a little kid in a candy store. That That's exactly how I felt looking at this work. So I'm going to describe a few of them in some detail because there's no possible way I can go through all of them without making this an eight-hour podcast. Um. And also, right, some of us have to sleep, eat, whatever, do homework, potentially, um, write that PhD. It's not going to write itself. So let's start with a place of departure and move beyond that. So the the first thing that kind of struck me as soon as I got there was the Escudo Nacional. Now... Escudo Nacional is just the Spanish way of saying, right, the emblem and a flag. I'm pretty sure that every country in Latin America that has Spanish roots with an emblem and their flag calls it an Escudo Nacional. But the Mexican Escudo Nacional, right, as a Mexican, speaks to me at a lot of many different levels. So our Escudo Nacional es una águila para dar un nopal devorando la serpiente. And if I don't say it like that, I can't translate it into English. I know it's ridiculous, but some things, like, you know, you said them so much in Spanish that they make no sense to you in English. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. It might be my ESL logic. But it's an eagle on top of a cactus devouring a serpent. So story goes, right, that the various many peoples were traveling through central Mexico as led by our god Huitzilopochtli. And Huitzilopochtli, in the form of a hummingbird, explained to us that wherever we would find this symbol, that would be our home, right? So here are the peoples traveling, and then they spot this in the middle of a lake. Mindfully, I don't know. To me, Lake Texcoco was this massive monumental thing, right? I don't know how they saw the eagle in the middle of the lake from a mile of distance, but more power to their vision. And, you know, this is how we settled in, con like, I want to say contemporary Tenochtitlan because I still call it that. But this is how they settled in Tenochtitlan, modern-day Mexico City. And the escudo that Anabel portrays is, I don't know, maybe three feet, right, in the round. And she has outlined the feathers of the eagle so it's a white sculpture and she has outlined the feathers of the eagle she has outlined the nopales you can even see the serpent being bitten 
right? And it has, like, its open mouth, and it has the little cascabel at the end. So, I don't know if this is just me, because, right, I know the story of my peoples, and this is how I feel about my Escudo Nacional, because also a Mexican pride. Hello! Um, But also, I was thinking, I was like, okay, so my peoples went and traveled and migrated and found this, and that was their home, as led by our Dios Huitzilopochtli. And I was like, wait, does that make Annabelle my Dios Huitzilopochtli? She's leading me to this, and I found it. Is this my home? Like, so many questions. And yes, I'm still processing those, right? Artists as gods. There's something to think through. But also artists as leaders and artists as, what is it, foregrounders of theory. And, well, home is such a huge concept, right? But also how epic is it that I found my home because I went to the Annabelle sculpture. Hello. So in any case, all of that to say that there's, there's so much to think through with this installation. So as if... As if my mind wasn't already thinking, wow, home, and missing home, and thinking of migration, and thinking of my own immigrant trauma. Next to the Escudo Nacional, and mindfully, I'm going to say that the Escudo Nacional does represent a very specific project, right? And also, as a Mexican, I also know that Mexico as a nation is very flawed and that we're carrying around all of these huge problems that we need to fix, but... That's not what we're going to be discussing in this podcast. This is about art. And next to the Escudo Nacional and next to um, uh, Sagrado Corazón de Jesús, and you all know what that looks like, there's a Virgen de Guadalupe. And I was like, wow. Because, right, I was thinking the Aztec birth of Tenochtitlan. And then colonialism hit me from the left. And I was like, both's fine. And here's... Our Lady, and now you can be as Catholic or not as you want, and I'm not saying everyone needs to be more power to any religious or spiritual practices that you have, but as someone who was raised Catholic, I have a soft spot in my heart for Our Lady, right? Like most Catholics. Now, if you don't know who Our Lady is, she is Mexican Mary, and Mexican Mary logically is a morenita, she brown, and she's got like dark, beautiful hair, straight black, right? She's very like the ideal Mexican beauty. Chaparrita la muchacha, morenita, con el cabello negro, super cute. Also, if you see the paintings, she's adorable, flawless skin. Like, I don't know what she was eating or drinking, but like, she nailed it. And, right, legend says that she appeared to... Uh, a Mexican indigenous native and Juan Diego's tío was dying and Our Lady saved him and in return she asked Juan Diego to basically point to where she wanted her cathedral and a couple of hundred years later we have that basilica in um, Mexico City that may or may not be falling sinking, not falling in Italy things fall in Mexico they sink let us not forget that used to be a giant marsh. So it's still that um, place where, right, Mexicans pilgrim to on Diciembre 12. And it's not just there. I mean, you've all seen it happen in downtown L.A. December 12th, 
in downtown, around the cathedral. It's similar to Marathon Day. You can drive in and out. There's two billion people. There's danzantes everywhere. Everyone is being really, really pious, but also really, really happy. And it sounds like a quinceañera. Because we pray through dance. And don't even pretend that's not awesome. So in any case, you've got our lady, you've got our escudo. And, you know, I'm sitting here like mind blown that colonialism and right my Tenochtitlan are kind of like face to face. And then I look down and there's an Ojin symbol as a sculpture and it's in yellow right it's kind of like hidden in next to um the escudo nacional now for those of you who don't know an ojin symbol means movement and motion which i immediately translated to migration i was like oh look there's a symbol of migration next to the eagle that's signaling to home and then there's the virgen de guadalupe protecting it all i don't know i was you know converging everything I understood to, you know, make an awesome reality in which this work spoke to me at 90 billion levels. So the Ojin is also associated with the Xolotl, which is the god of shape-shifting. And that took me into, right, a conversation about undocumentedness and how during migration, you have to shift who you are as a person, right? When you get to the the new host nation, you're asked to assimilate. And there's a lot that I got from just the Ojin sculpture. And so besides that, you've got the, the metate. And now for those of you who don't know, a metate is, I want to say the cousin of a molcajete, Everyone knows what a molcajete is. It's where you mix in the guac, that like circular, you know, stone bowl that you use to mix guacamole. We all know what that is. Um, that then not so much because, you know, it, it legitimately is a very similar version, except for this one square, it's much longer. And in this one, you grind um, flour. And you make really, really fine ingredients, which I'm not saying you cannot do with a molcajete, but in a metate, the, the rock, the pestle, is much longer. So if you put, right, like your maize and you start grinding it, you get harina for tortillas. So there's a metate underneath. And it's this, like, really beautiful um, moment that I had while I was looking at it because it immediately took me to, you know, that happy time walking into my grandma's kitchen where she was making tortillas. And I was like, damn, I miss my casa. I want a taco, right? That's what I think about when I think of tortillas. I don't think of burritos. It's an American thing. So here I'm thinking of tortillas and then I'm thinking of Tenochtitlan and now I'm thinking of eating in Mexico City. And also these Questions of home keep on popping up, right? And these concerns of migration keep on popping up. And I am remembering bits and portions of my life that I don't think about often, even though I study in the Chicken X department and my PhD is on migration. Um, but in the middle of all of this, there's also Mariposas Monarcas. And it's this great big sculptural form with multiple mariposas, so it looks like a cluster of mariposas. And now, as one who has been to two separate um, monarch homes, I immediately knew what this was, right? 
like from the outside. So whenever you go to the monarch sanctuary, you don't see trees. You see butterflies. Mm -hmm. They're on trees. But the tree itself becomes so overwhelmed with the butterfly itself that you stop noticing that it's like a pine or something. I went to the one that I prefer is the one in Michoacan, which so happens to be where Annabelle is from. So in Michoacan, right, you climb into this little mountain. And once you're up top, there's a spot in the middle of the forest where the forest stops being green and it's all of a sudden orange and yellow. And you're like, whoa, it's so amazing. If you ever get the shot, chance to go, go. And because... I deeply care about my undog people. You can also see it in Pismo um, Beach, California. Come visit. So now mariposas monarcas have become the symbol of migration or associated with migration, especially in chickenex art for, you know, the past couple of decades for various different reasons. On the one hand, their lifespan is about two to six weeks. But mariposas monarcas have the super ability to migrate Something in between 50 and 100 miles a day, which is way more than most people do and some of us drive. So what's intriguing about the Mariposa Monarca is that their migration is ancestral. So, right, we all think of migration in humans. And person A goes from country A to country B. And that's kind of like the end of, of an immigration story. Some people, right, will go to a third country. Some people have to travel through various countries to get to their destination. But for these butterflies, it's entirely different. So their generational migration makes it so that it takes three generations of butterfly to do one whole migration. And for them, a migration is cyclical. So grandma leaves Mexico to come to the U.S. Mom leaves the U.S. to end up somewhere in Ontario, Canada. And baby from Ontario, Canada, tracks it back to Mexico. More or less, right? There's stops and there's like some very more logical things that I'm not explaining because I'm not a butterfly expert. But their migration story and the way that they know how to migrate is deep within their bones. They've never been to the place that they know they have to go to. But their ancestors... Um, remains are what call them back. Now, I found that hella interesting because when I was in Michoacan, right, tourists are dumb. And a bunch of my, and I don't want to say white friends, but my friends who were with me were like, oh my God, butterflies in the floor, let me take it with me and, you know, I don't know, make art with it. Or whatever, tourists like collecting mementos. But... One of my girls got screamed at in Michoacan, you can't take the dead butterfly. And we're like, wow, lady, like that was a little extra. We didn't need to be screamed at. But then she explained that whatever smell is in the remain of the butterfly is what the baby butterflies will know to come back to when they return. So if you remove their grandparents, they will get lost, which I thought was kind of magical to think through and at that moment i completely understood why you know the chicanos have been making butterflies for the past couple of decades but beyond that and right because this all ties into this idea of home 
and migration and journey and remembrance. Because let us not forget that the title of the exhibition is Recordar es Vivir. And as I was thinking through all of these things, I was talking to Annabelle about her home and her migration story and write the things that were sticking out to me in the piece. And she's so kind and so generous. Thank you, Annabelle, for that. Um, but also, I, I, I just, I kept on finding more candy in this candy store. There's also a mask dangling from the side of the carrito. Now, I'm pretty sure you've purchased something from a street vendor, from an elotero, from a paletero, you name it. There's always something dangling from the carrito. Mindfully, a churro, right? The raspado guy always has duritos on the side. Like, there's all kinds of things. And this piece dangles from the side of the carrito, unlike the rest of the piece that kind of have these pedestals to stand on. Um, and so the, this piece, this is a mask. It's a contemporary rendering of something that y'all are hella familiar with. Lord Pakal's mask. Now, full name, Kinish Hanab Pakal, from Palenque, right? So it's a jade mask, and the original one has these extended earlobes with pieces of, I don't want, the jewelry, like long stick jewelry pieces hanging from its earlobes. And Annabelle's piece has it too, and it has um, sockets for the eyes, and it shows you an enormous gold septum bling, right? Like a, I don't want to call it a nose ring, but like you remember the Mayans used to be very intricately adorned. And I'm not talking the Mayans in the Hollywood movies. I'm talking, look at Lord Pakal's tomb or basically any like Stella Maya. If you look at a Mayan Stella, the bling comes out more than the person. I mean, really. You get all the language, right? And there's a lot of intricate beauty. And everyone has seen that Lord Pakal bleeding ceremony, Stella. Find more. There are hundreds of Stellas. Um, also, I don't remember if that's the plural of Stella. Stelly? Whatever it is. Um, what I mean to say is, Annabelle placed, right, a Mayan mask here five millimeters away from the Aztec Ollin, which, by the way, epic and glorious. Now, I thought of this, right, at this point as a family reunion, right? Because all of my ancestral lineage came to the party. You've got the Aztecs on one side, you've got the Mayans on the other side, you've got the colonialism on the other side, which I know you don't want them to come to the party, but everyone has a tío that they don't like, and he still shows up to the party. And I'm not saying I don't love Virgen de Guadalupe, like, Again, soft spot in my heart. But the colonial period in Mexico is not one that I'm particularly fond of for very logical reasons. So, right, and you even have, like, the complicated deal that has that story that most of us don't know how to speak about. All of these things came to the party. And the people who came from far away, right, you've got the mariposas monarcas who traveled from afar to come to the quinceañera. You've got your tío, you've got your tía, you've got your madrina. And everyone here is coming together to show you a good time and to be in community and to make space for brown joy. Now, the one thing I have to point out, which is one of my absolute favorite pieces, it's a doll that's sitting on this cute little pedestal. Now, according to the curatorial statement, this is a pura pecha doll. 
I have to call in the curator of this exhibit because this is not a Budapecha doll. It's a misnomer. I'm not calling anyone out. We all make mistakes, but this is not that. This is a muñeca masagua. So muñeca masaguas, for those of you who don't know, are originally from Querétaro, Guanajuato, Michoacán, again, where Annabelle is from. Now, the and I know this because I have some. Uh, and yes, in my house. And they protect me against the like bad juju. So traditionally speaking, these dolls accompany children to protect them from malos espíritus. And yes, that is why I keep them. You know what I believe in. But in any case, um, this to me, right, brought me back to the curatorial statement in thinking about Annabelle's migration story and what she packed as a child to migrate. So going back to it, right, dolls, stuffed animals, flowers, but also Mexican pride, religion, her ancestors, and her community. Like, those are the things she packed in her backpack as a child when she migrated. And those are the things I packed in my backpack as a child when I migrated, right? I can look at most of the symbolism and be like, oh my god, yes, and pinpoint moments in my life path that are my memories that I brought with me when I migrated. Like my abuelita making tortillas or, right, um, a doll that wards away the bad spirits or monarch butterflies, um, flowers, all of this epic level of beauty that you remember that you can't put in a backpack and at the same time you bring with you when you migrate. So when I was talking to Annabel, she was telling me that the re- and this the sculptural works that are in these carritos have a diagonal roof made of glass, which by the way is Annabelle's latest exploration. I am dying to see where she's gonna go with glass in the future. And this is one of those things that, right, as one who thinks of art and who acknowledges the transcendence of artists within their own medium, I get to peek at and I get to be all excited about, but then also I have no patience. So I'm excited that Annabelle's exploring with um, glass. As the one who has no patience, I want her to like resolve the exploration by tomorrow and give me an exhibition on Tuesday to go on Friday to figure out what she's doing with glass. That is not how it happens. Artists take their sweet time figuring these things out through medium. And I'm not rushing anyone and more power to Annabelle for taking as long as she needs. And I will wait patiently, even if I have no patience. But one of the beautiful things that she shared with me about her home and explaining the reason why there's a slanted diagonal yellow glass ceiling on these carritos is that she had these vivid memories of waking up at home when she was a baby in Michoacán and opening up her eyes and seeing at the very first thing when she opened her eyes, the sun peering through the roof of her house. And she explained that she wanted the sculpture to feel that. She wanted those, right, that bit of light that came to her and as a baby when she, like, witnessed this growing up. She wanted the people who came to see the sculpture to understand that. And as one 
who was standing in this room with her, staring at this. I was like, 100%. I know exactly what you're talking about. My tia's house had a similar life path, right? So, in a way, every single thing that I wanted to think through, or every single thing that I think through already, not that I wanted, I already think about these things, right? As an immigrant, you think of home in two billion different ways. Home is away, home is here, home is coming, home needs to be protected. Home is so many different things. And this sculpture gave me everything. It gave me home. It gave me the Escudo Nacional. It brought back the, the national pride. It gave me my sense of religiosity, mindfully, a very intimate one. I don't want to say that I'm as Catholic as most Catholics on the planet, but also who's Catholic nowadays? Actually Catholic, maybe the Pope, um, right? But I've divorced myself from that religion a while back, but I'm culturally Catholic because I grew up being really, really close to Catholicism. So in that, I could see this sculptural work and witness bits and pieces of my home in it, but also, as I was talking to Annabelle, witness bits and pieces of her home in it and realizing our shared knowledge and our shared immigrant experience, but also thinking through what it means that our home is kind of really, really far away and we need to protect it because let us not forget that every single immigrant has an idealized concept of home that isn't entirely real mindfully because we left home a while back ago but also because we idealize portions of belonging somewhere that is safe because most of us get to this new host society and the host society is like a you don't belong b you shouldn't be here c you're a criminal right i mean let us not forget the modern takes on on immigration in this country but also it's very, I don't want to say endangering. Also, I have to acknowledge, right, that I'm a white passing woman who isn't very threatening looking. But that isn't the same for our brown men now, is it? So there's all of these things that conflate with our concept of home, which is why I think sometimes that we idealize a home that might not be as perfect as we think it is because we haven't been there in a really long time. But also is a space where we can protect those portions of ourselves that are threatened in this new you-should-assimilate kind of agenda that the new host country has for us. Mindfully, I'm speaking specifically to the United States because that is my journey, right? I'm an immigrant from Mexico. As I said, I grew up in Guadalajara, very similar, very close to where Annabelle grew up. She's from Michoacan, which is a few hours away. Um... Think of, like, I want to say L.A., San Francisco, right? It's a few hours away. Maybe a little more. But there are similar stories of migration, even if they're not all the same. And mindfully, I don't think that there are two immigrants in this country with the same immigration um, story. And that's another thing that becomes a huge problem, right? We always conflate, conflate these idealized migratory journeys and 
in the nation's imaginary, it the immigrant is, you know, a man, mostly a cis man. He's a brown man. He's very faceless because I can't picture this man. But he's a man who's coming from, right, Mexico. And he's here to work these 20-hour, you know, day shifts where he's doing backbreaking labor and in the nation's imaginary he's either a a criminal or b has no talent or c will not speak english for the rest of his life that is the general consensus of who this immigrant is but here and in what i've been telling you in these last couple of minutes you get to see a different version of migration right you get to see First and foremost, Annabelle's. Second of all, you get to think through when she migrated as a child. She's a woman. As an artist, I know that we think of artists as their artwork instead of who they are as people. And you know you do that too. Unless they're like a super celebrity rock star artist, you don't know the artist's face. Be honest. Be super honest. Unless you know this artist or, you know... These are artists who um, post 9 billion thirst traps on their socials. And you also know who you are, artists who are doing that. I'm not even complaining. I, I'm here for it. I want to see your beautiful faces. Um, but there's very little association of a person and their artwork. Whereas I can tell you 13 names of artists and you can picture exactly what they do. You won't be able to picture them unless they're taking photographs of themselves, right? The photographers who take self-portraits, that's a different buzz. But contemporarily speaking, unless the artist is physically putting his face in the front of everything he's making all the time, you don't know them at all. So in here, and this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? You can come into the Clefal Contemporary and witness Annabelle's migration story, and maybe even mine. We're both children immigrants. We're both women. We're both from central Mexico. Mindfully, I'm a transnational immigrant, and I don't know that that's Annabelle's reality. Now, transnational just means that I bounced in between both of the countries back and forth a lot of times before I settled here. Whereas some people, as you know, right, have single migration stories because it's impossibly expensive to migrate. I was one of, I don't want to say the lucky ones, because that ain't luck. I was one with a different migration story, one that had to bounce in between borders maybe a handful, a dozen times before I became a teenager, right? But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that in this sculptural work, you will witness Annabelle's home, you will witness Annabelle's journey, you will witness... Annabelle's migration, and you will witness a little bit of the beauty that immigrants bring with them to their host nation upon entering into a society that will, for the better part, vilify them. Take that into consideration the next time you meet an immigrant, especially if they're on dock, because it's that much more difficult to be on dock. Yeah, being an immigrant is already scary and traumatizing and annoying and terrifying because deportation looms at every corner but that deportation looming at every corner 
affects every single member of the undoc community, not every member of the migrant community. And as one who was a migrant before she was undoc, who is now a member of a protected status, I can tell you that that kind of trauma doesn't go away. And I know I should not be talking about immigrant trauma when I'm talking about beautiful artwork, but this is also what's incredibly compelling about this piece. It makes a safe space for all of that violence. How often have you walked into a museum, seen a painting, and felt completely at home? Uh, and I don't just mean, right, the idealized museum goer. Whom, I don't even know who it is. Like, I want to say it's a, a white member of society, but I don't know if they're cis and I don't know their gender. So, you know, whatever that means. But how often are brown immigrants comfortable inside white spaces? Right? And this piece doesn't just do that, create a comfort zone for us brown people to go in there and enjoy. It also celebrates migration and it celebrates brown joy and it elevates our culture. And right, these pieces are also spectacularly, beautifully done. And mindfully, I didn't talk about medium in as much as I may or may not have, but also I am not a clay expert. Um, I'm not. I, my specialties is, uh, actually, it's very nuanced. It's something I call political art action, which means just that, actions. Um, but as a trained art historian, I could speak a bit about every single medium. Th- these works are impeccably beautifully done. And you should see them in person, but also... What they convey is so much more compelling and interesting to me that I felt the need to speak about that. You go and you see them, and if you're an expert in ceramics, etc., etc., hit me up, talk to me, what did I miss? Call me in, I'm here for it. But also, I think, right, as a first-gen immigrant, transnational child, formerly undocumented, I also want to think of making space for this kind of narrative inside of a white cube and I absolutely applaud my comadre Anabel Juarez for doing this for making space inside of a museum to speak of these things to unpack these things to witness these things and to celebrate these journeys so that's why I'm fangirling about my comadre Anabel and my series of hijados that are currently being babysat at the Cleful Contemporary Yes, I just made that analogy. Don't judge me. My art familia is super important to me. I cannot talk about it in any other way. So all of that to say that you should go see this exhibition. I think it's up for a couple of more weeks. Definitely like a month. It's a museum. And it opened not that long ago. Don't quote me. Look it up. We live in the universe of Google. Um... Also, it's a nice campus, it's a beautiful museum, and you absolutely need to get to know the work of Annabel Juarez. Know it now, see it now, keep up with her. I personally love to keep up with artists whose practices move me, and I have just explained why I'm going to keep up with her until the day I die. So I am looking forward to continuing to celebrate this woman's journey, and... You know, 
making space for whatever she needs me to make space, whether that be happiness, whether that be pain, whether that be home, migration, toys, games, tortillas, prayer, my Aztec ancestors, my Mayan ancestors, or my Mexican pride. If she wants to go in any other direction, I will gladly follow. I've decided that she's part my Guitzilopochtli, and I'm just going to, you know, follow her blindly. Because my ancestors are known to do that. Why can't I? But in any case, I'm going to conclude with that. Just, I cannot tell you enough to go see this. I had a great experience, and not just because I've loved this practice, the work itself. It's beautiful. The museum itself is priceless. And it's totally worth the trip to Long Beach. And I know a bunch of people in LA are very anti-driving on the 405. This is a reason to be stuck in traffic for a few hours, is what I'm saying. So enjoy that. Let me know if you love it. Um, I look for I actually look forward to hearing from y'all what you thought about this exhibition. If you hated it, tell me that. I want to know why. If you loved it, I'm glad I steered you in the right direction. Also, if I steer you to this artwork in my year, I don't know. I'm, now I'm just telling people to migrate to art, which totally makes sense because I have been calling myself a coyote in the art world for the past couple of years. For those of you who don't know, a coyote is a smuggler, right? They smuggle undocumented immigrants into this country. That's how I feel in the art world. I smuggle Latinx artists into the white cube. And I know some people get offended by this analogy, but I think it works in various many levels. In any case, I'm going to end with that. I will, you will hear from me soon. Fangirling about one of my other compadres or, you know, calling in some of my compadres who don't know what they're doing. I look forward to hearing from you and thank you for listening to this podcast.